0: What's up, everybody? This is Frank Peralta and Aaron Snyder with Kafaru Cast. We got a very special guest today, Harold Farenbrook. He's kind of a, a hunting legend, if you will, um, not very well known. Um, Aaron, take it away. Well, uh,
1: Harold, you're one of those guys that, uh, you know, one of the greater traditional archery hunters that no one's probably ever heard about because you don't get on social media. Um, in fact, a funny story, you were all pissed off at me at one time because I wasn't responding back. And then we learned later, you didn't have a cell phone. And I was, no, I was texting your home phone back. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But you've recently come into the new age. You've got a, a big old phone now, don't you?
2: Uh, As far as just uh to give that indication I'm in the new age, but I don't know how to use it yet. You're, so. Danny
1: said he's giving you lessons. Is it a smartphone? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> so so you you're a traditional archery guy, shot the same bow basically for what, twenty five Uh
2: that's thirty one years now, 30, I think. Thirty
1: one years. And then you guide up in Alaska uh, for um Jonas, Jonas Stewart for Jonas, Jonas Alaskan Outfitters. Uh and then well hunt all over the place. So what what uh just get out of the gate, what um what all animals have you been able to uh, take with your, your recurve?
2: uh i've got uh, 20 of the 29 probably in the most economic situation <laughs> that anybody could it's all been on um do-it-yourself hunts um i'm looking at probably my first elk was 13 years old first deer was 13 years old how i got into it was i was guiding at 13 years old for crystal rover outfitters in marble colorado so I was like, but I wasn't able to hunt myself because it was rifle season. So as I was guiding for rifles. So I think well, I'm going to pick up a bow. So I killed two birds with one stone. Got to know the area. They got to do the scouting for the outfitter, and then carry a bow around at the same time. So that's how I ended up
1: um, stepping into the traditional bow hunting equipment. Now you you shoot a Palmer, correct? Um, and uh, you, I think you told me. The way you got that bow, you helped build it, didn't you? Uh, I helped build
2: a uh, guy, uh, Fred Azebel with Colorado Bighorn, helped me build, uh, per se. Um, he was down in Brighton at that time, mm-hmm. Brighton, Colorado, before he sold to King of the Mountain. And uh, I'd go in there, sweep floors, grease machines, and then he'd sit down with me and, and help me work on my, work on the bow that uh, I ended up purchasing from him. Oh. But that bow lasted me about two years and that's when I was very young that was at 13 14 years old category then I got the Palmer from there
1: gotcha and you've uh, you and Mike have known each other for quite some time right? yeah
2: very long time uh, Mike's one of those guys that are very quiet guy Um but um there's he's one of those also guys that he gives the shirt off your back his back for you too he'll he'll talk to anybody walk them through any steps uh whether you're a novice hunter an expert or whatever i mean he's uh he's helped out from nobody like me all the way up to helping the hoyt engineers um build a riser and get things going with them as well
1: because that was um well, uh, Eichler they were building a bow for for Fred Eichler or this is from what I've understood it from multiple people and they couldn't get it right for him and Eichler shot at 29 with a Palmer correct um, and so they just went over and Mike helped him out
2: today yeah Mike was uh, what what uh, I heard was uh from Fred and Mike is they they Mike bought like 30 plus acres from Fred down in Aguilar Colorado. And so they're neighbors. And when I was down there working with Mike for oh, about a month and a half, um, learned how to make bows and how he was doing the whole process, um, you know, Fred was right across the street. And he and so I got to hear a lot of different stories, and that's what it was. It was they, they couldn't get it right. Fred well, I can't shoot nothing with this. I can't shoot nothing with this. Well, how? what do we need to do? He goes, go next door and talk to Mike. To Mike, yeah.
1: And then that's how it all transpired. Gotcha. And because I shot— the palmer first and 16 when i started shooting and shot the shit out of it and then i shot the uh buffalo and i think you were the first one to tell me that won't well, make sense mike helped design but you know mike owns palmer and then help with the the buffalo because it felt the know, riser hit, yeah yeah the riser yeah I, I i had two or limbs or like feet of limbs on it uh, but Point you know as far as looking where I hit or hitting where I was looking, the same thing for for both bows. Correct. So, so you you um, you killed a grizzly not too long ago at nine ten yards.
2: Yeah, I mean the brown bear. Um, yeah, I've killed a couple of grizzlies with my recurve, but the brown bear is a, a kind of a unique situation um, where I was only you know we watched, I watched this. Two boars fighting over a sow, and this went on for about 40 minutes. I could hear them splashing in the water and stuff like that. And I was on a, I was sitting over a bait, and um, and I couldn't stand it anymore. Um, so Jonah and I crawled out of the tree and from the bait, went over there to where these bears were chasing each other around, glassing them. And it was really tall grass next to the riverbank, and. Uh, so finally when things settled down, it looked like the boar had won the battle, He, uh, they, they were bedded down. So I go crawling over there, and I get right in the middle of them, and I look, and there's 10 yards away is the kill zone, perfect spot of a laying down brown bear. But I don't know which one it is, the sow or the boar. I can't see nothing else but the kill zone. He had his arms stretched out in front of him just laying down. So it was just perfect. I could see the armpit, and I wanted to get a better view to see which bear it was. And I stepped up on this little little hump that got me about 12 more inches of elevation. When I did, I looked to my left, and there was this girlfriend laying there to my left, like not three yards away, like three feet away. Oh, my gosh. And
1: did you have she, shit running down both legs at that point? Oh, man, point? it was – I didn't know what – it was
2: a point of no return. And uh, she had, like, shaving cream all over her body. She'd been ran so hard by those two boars, it was like a horse lathered up. Yeah and mosquitoes roll over her eyes and stuff like that and so now i know that's the south so the kill zone over here is that brown bear a man so my whole thought process is okay i got you know my 10 millimeter right here on my chest so as soon as i shoot him i'm going to drop my bow and i'm going to grab my pistol so at that time i went ahead and drew back and i just had soldier surgery so i was using a set of limbs that that mike made me that uh were a lot lighter than i typically shoot and i don't know if i got full draw it was the adrenaline was pumping i i had a lot of things going on in my head like you know if my daughter ever going to see me again that kind of stuff so i shot hit right where i was aiming it didn't get the penetration that i liked and he started rolling around and growling while the south stood up on her hind legs and she's just looking not my direction but looking at him and i'm assuming was thinking that oh those two are fighting over me again well, when he took off, she came down on all fours. When she did, she got tangled up on my bow that I just dropped. Oh my god! <laughs> so she's like, like, what the heck is this? Turn around and it was this? Her face was in my face, and I just uh, she gave me that look like, how the heck did you ever get this close to me? And then the boar made another crash and you noise. Know, his dying crash, and he was over there doing the the moan. And she took off in his direction and left me alone, so I didn't have to shoot her. But yeah. it was uh. That was pretty close contact.
1: Good lord, yeah. I uh uh you know, I have I've only hunted grizzlies twice, right? Uh, I mean, I've had them within, you know, close proximity uh-huh. and uh it's a different pucker factor with a grizzly. Uh Bart and I not nearly as uh crazy as that, but Bart and I had one feeding down a logging road and it went into the timber and uh no like, let's go kill it fuck it let's go in there and uh we get in in thick bush and we can see it bedded under a tree and uh i just told bart i'm like stay behind me i'm going to kill that fucker and uh it, it wasn't a, it was interior grizz it was only probably 727 seven, i think i i think anyway seven six it wasn't huge and i got to like 14 yards and cuz of the arc of the arrow i couldn't shoot and bart he's a He's a shooter. He's like, fucking shoot, man, shoot now. And I'm like, I can't, I can't hit it. I can't hit it. And, uh, I said, I'm going to get closer. And he was like, are you fucking crazy? And I was like, well, I don't have a choice. Right. Like there's going back only makes it worse. So we kind of take a different route around and I get to that where it's better. It ain't fucking there. And I'm like, Oh, I'm like, Bart, it ain't there. It ain't there, dude. And it's behind, it got up. Didn't know we were there just to feed. And it's like 16 yards behind us. So now I'm like telling Bart, get down. Cause I'm just going to fling an arrow over his head. And, uh, Bart was all for that. He took a knee and right when I went to full draw, it went to the road. Well, you know, I'm like, I couldn't, that close, couldn't get a shot. So I didn't want to run and and blow it out of there. So I'm trying to walk as fast as I can through the crap we were in. And Gary, the other guy that was with us is on the road pointing like, Hey, the bear was right there. And, Obviously, we got the truck later. It's like, yeah, we knew it was there, but I never did get a shot. But my brown eye about snapped. Um, it's, <laughs> yeah. hard, it's hard to explain how intense that is.
2: It is. I mean, it's a um, – you know, I've been guiding Alaska for a long time, not just for Jonah. I've got it for other outfitters um, as well until I, I got introduced to Jonah. And I've been working with him for now. This will be my, uh, I think, 11th, 11th year with Jonah. So, I mean, a lot of people ask, okay, well, what's – you know, because – on the on Jonah's site, he has me down as a referral, someone to call. And but I, I can give it to customers in two different ways. One, I was a client and plus I worked for him. I was the very first, it was just me and Jonah the first first year. But at any anyway, rate a lot of people will ask, okay, how many altercations you had with bears? I mean, I'm coming up there for my first time, I'm stretched kind of I wouldn't say thin, but, you know, what do I need to bring up there? You know, the what what backpack, what boots, whatever. And then it always comes up as far as protection, like uh, what kind of pistol, what's the best calibers and things like that. And I go, well, you know, I handle all the bow hunting deals. Uh, with a rifle, I don't think you have to worry about it because you got a rifle in your hand. Um, as far as uh, with archery, um, if it makes you feel better to carry a pistol, I carry a 10 millimeter Glock. At the time, I mean, there was a time I was carrying that Air Light Smith & Wesson um, in a, in a forty four mag. But... You get those kind of questions and then the examples I'll give them as far as uh, um, an altercation because I always get that is my very first year of Guided for Jonah, I had an altercation with uh, uh, one, of, uh, one of the clients. We didn't plan on it but we went up after some doll sheep and we were on the way up. We had a sow with two cubs and they, we busted them out of the alders but the two cubs were, were that year's cubs. And they were really curious. Um, so they kept running right to our feet. The sow would bark at them, and, and they'd come running back to their mom. But they kept coming back to us. So I had my pistol, and it wouldn't fit on the belt of the backpack I was using, the, the holster part of it. So I'm carrying it in my hand. And these, these, these little furry slipper-type thing bears would come running up to us. The sow would bark at them. They'd go run them back. Still uncomfortable because she kept getting closer. She didn't want to be there, but she kept on getting closer and closer. So after we get above timberline, line, out of the alders, and get up to where we're you know, getting into the sheep country, then they left us alone. But I'm still carrying my pistol. And so I'm putting it up on a ledge, climb up to it. I put it up on a ledge, climb up to it. And then the hunter I had said, hey, my belt's a lot skinnier. Your, your holster will fit on it. So... He carried the pistol, and we get up there where the sheep are. They've moved, and, of course, as we know as old bow hunters, you got to wait for a conducive situation for to make the to make the stock. So we ended up sleeping on these sheep, and we hadn't planned on it. So we were probably, you know, quite a ways away from where our main camp was. So we spent the night on them, and before we go to bed, which was in our—it looked like a couple of burritos up there on the hillside because we were just those aluminum space, space blankets— and uh, so he's like, well, it's still on my backpack and I, that I'm using as a pillow. Go, okay, just as long as we know where it's at. So I get up that next morning. I got these sheep in the spotting scope, and I'm like, hey, we get ready to go. These sheep are rolling the edge. They're going to be perfect. So when I turned around, here's a grizzly bear walking at us 30 yards away. We're just in his line of path. He has no idea we're there. So I'm like, get your bow. There's a grizzly bear. He's already in range. Where's the pistol? He goes, it's under my backpack. So I don't want to scare the bear so I crawl on my hands and knees over to his backpack which is only 10 yards away and I didn't – I didn't uh, – uh, the bear didn't recognize me as being human at that point because it's an area where they do hunt bears. So if a bear sees you, smells, smells you, they're typically acting like a coyote. They're hauling ass. Well, this one here saw me crawl on my hands and knees. I don't know what he thought I was but it wasn't humanish. So next thing I know is I hear my hunter scream, I hear my tripod that had my spotting scope on, it get hit, and there's the bear right there. So I grabbed the backpack and I threw it up, and about the, just as I got the backpack up looking for the pistol, the pistol wasn't there. The bear got a hold of the backpack and started <laughs> thrashing it right right out of my hands. So I mean, yeah. just got a hold of it and thought it was me or whatever. He just had something to chew on. And then when I stood up and yelled at him and stuff like that, he realized, "Oh shit, I don't want to, I don't want to be here." Yeah. And luckily, he took off because when you get that close to a grizzly bear, it, it, sometimes it is the point of no return. They're like, they don't have room to get out. Now they're going to go ahead and and start munching. And my hunter's over there having dry heaves and stuff like that, and. I'm like, where the hell's that pistol? End up, end up being inside of his day pack that was inside of his backpack. You know? <laughs> oh lord! <laughs> he yeah. never would have got to it. So <laughs> needless to say, we never. Uh, he didn't get to carry the pistol anymore. Yeah, but, um, but he ended up shooting a heck
1: of a ram. about two and a half hours later. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, you had a, I can't remember because I. But well before I, well I actually met you through a client of your – Well, a friend of mine that was your. Client, yeah, uh, Sean Smith, and then you know, well, obviously we've bullshitted a bunch ever since then. I didn't put two and two together at first because over at Rocky Mountain they would bring. I think when you shot your grizzly, they were telling me about it, and I didn't know who you were. And um, they what what happened with the helicopter? You popped your eyeball out or something? What the hell happened? Because you still have uh, you got a bag behind your eye now because it yeah. That was a, I mean, of all the sheep hunting I've done my
2: whole life, I mean, um, and being above timberline. A knock on wood. I've fared pretty well with that. Kansas has kicked my ass twice. <laughs> so I mean, my the whole thing with the the eyeball and uh, the the skull fracture being put into an induced coma, rebuilding my face, shoulder, my brisket, everything was uh, my chest, breastbone, it was because I fell out of a tree stand.
1: Oh shit! So, okay.
2: And and so, yeah, I broke. Both both wrists, my left hand, my palate, both orbits for my eyeballs, and the skull fractures behind my eyes. So I got two staples behind my left eye, one behind my right eye. Gotcha. Um, and then uh, they had to put my eyeball back in, and, and they have a little— How far were you up in the tree? I was only—from where my feet were, it was probably 17 feet. Yeah. Uh, but it was right next to where these cattails are, and— these this 170s type whitetail kept walking in and out with these does and that's where they'd put them while being on ground level and these cattails legacy was his rack I could never get an arrow to him this tree was in the perfect spot to be able to shoot down on him when he got in those cattails so when I came down I came down like on frozen ground because of the water I mean it was it was there was no no giving whatsoever um, they say what really helped save my life not to change the subject but it was uh it was a fact that I your body goes into a secondary alarm mode whenever you're choking. I had the sensation of like dirt being in my mouth. So when I woke up, not even knowing I'd been out, I mean I thought it was instantaneous, um, I go to try to take this mud out of my mouth and my right arm is dangling. And then so I go to use my left and I can't get my glove off because the bones of my hand are facing the wrong direction into the glove. So I finally got my thumb out because the only thing that was broken on my left arm was my ulna, not the whole bone, but the whole arm. So I got my thumb out, stuck it inside my mouth to get that because I, I felt myself about ready to go. Stuck my thumb in my mouth and and what it, it was no mud. It was the roof of my mouth had came down on top of my tongue because my whole face was demolished. Yeah. So I couldn't breathe. The only time I could breathe is when I pushed up on the roof of my mouth. Which was kind of tough because my palate was split right down the center. Yeah. So my thumb kept falling in that crack. Good lord. That's the only way I could breathe. Fucked up like a football (laughs) bat. How how did you
0: fall out? Were you getting ready to shoot or something? No. What the
2: deal was, and it it um, um, it's called a crotchy tree stand, homemade tree stand. So most cottonwood trees always Y somewhere. You put that in there, it's not going to go nowhere. But what you need is a, a a seat to go around so you have something to set on. Well, the seat I had was a store-bought seat I'd bought 10 years prior. And when I put my optics up to my face, looking at the buck that I was gonna probably shoot in five minutes, and I went to set back down, the buckle broke on that seat and sent me over backwards.
0: Oh, good lord.
2: And all I got was I was able to get my hands in front of me, and that absorbed a lot of the blow, but it's still, I mean, your front of your face was just a shock absorber for your brain, and
1: I realized the mind worked. Jesus, you, know. Have you ever seen Deadpool the movie? Yeah, yeah. You were, were you looking like Deadpool when he fought the Iron Guy and both of his arms were all fucked up? But <laughs> yeah, he was saying, "Yeah, probably." That's a good description. Yeah. When you said that, when both of them are broken, that's the first thing he talks about. The T Rex is yeah. the most uh, dangerous animal. Right? <laughs> yeah. Good so Lord. Were you,
0: were you hunting with somebody, or how did the, how'd no, you get out of there? I, I
2: I walked out of there. There was a, a little, the river there, and I. Had thrown my waders off um, they're on the bank and what I do is I would take my waders off get in a tree stand and then when I go to leave had to put my waders on across the river well I didn't care at this point so I just went walking across the river got to my truck and I could only like I said I could use my forefinger and my thumb Fuck, this, was it an automatic? A, it was an automatic <laughs> but I had to time it right because of holding my breath because once I took my thumb out of my mouth I couldn't breathe, breathe. anymore so I got I got got the truck started obviously with my left hand, steered with my
1: with my left hand, and, and was able to drive out of there to get help. Good lord! But you you also had I can't remember the was it a plane or a helicopter coming off a cliff, and you were trying no, to hold no, on. No. What the hell was that? No, it? that
2: was uh, with another outfitter that I. Uh, the I ain't gonna mention his name because he's not <laughs> worth mentioning. He's gonna be in trouble in court here pretty quick, but. No, it was just that the plane was landed. It yeah. was landed, so it's not a plane accident. Um, it was, uh, and we're right on a really cool ridge point. Landed to look at some sheep, and a gust of wind came up after the plane was landed. I wasn't out yet, and it grabbed underneath the wing and set the plane over. Oh, um, gotcha. So that's how that happened.
1: Yeah, and you just had to flip her back over or whatever. To, yeah. yeah, yeah, gotcha. I um, I don't have that much. You know, I was in the NWT for a while in northern BC, but until you, you'll do it soon, until you've landed in one of those fucking Bear Cubs or even a Twin Otter one, or or a, like a Rogers 44 in high wind, you just haven't lived because it's <laughs> freaky, right? Like yeah. I, for me it was. I wasn't, you know, Tundra Tires or the one uh, uh, Pucker Pond, this is up in NWT because it's your buttholes puckering because the pond's not big enough Mm -hmm. and you you about don't have time to take off or land before you hit the bank on floats floats. yeah and so coming from the lower 48 and then going up and experiencing that stuff those pilots i tell you what um which you know way more than me but those pilots um they i mean that's a dangerous job holy cow with what they do you know where they land and everything else
2: you know jonah uh Kind of a funny story. I mean, he couldn't fly clients because he didn't have enough hours the very first year he started. And like I said, it was just me and him. And uh, but because I worked for him, I could get in a plane with him. Of course, he he just got his plane. He just bought it like a, a month or so before I got up there. Now he had gone through the training. His dad builds custom log homes in the middle of the outback in in Alaska, and so he was able to, you know, buddy up with a lot of those guys that was flying those materials in for his dad's sites. And, and plus he just pays attention. This is what this kid's been wanting to do since he came out of the womb. I mean, he was going to be an outfitter. And, um, and he, so I went through those growing pains, but we're, the first time I get out with him, we're we're coming back and we're just above where he's landing and just on a, on a gravel bar type thing. And all of a sudden the prop, I can see the prop and we're still, you know, 75 feet in the air. Stop. (laughs) And then we come down and it's kind of rough but not too bad. And I'm like, so is that your quiet approach? Did you plan on that? And he goes, I don't know what the fuck this happened. (laughs) That's never happened before. (laughs) <laughs> and so I, I wasn't used to him. So I'm like, I thought maybe that was his quiet approach so you could kind of get, you know, not spook the sheep or whatever like that. And I'm like, he goes, no, I was I haven't been working on that. that <laughs> so anything that he's done with me, he's practiced with me. And, uh, I mean, I was with him the first time he landed on a ridge. He threatened it a couple times the year before, and he just didn't have the confidence. And that's one thing I'll say about him is he's one of those guys that he knows what the plane will do and what he can do and um and the adjustments he's made to that plane as far as engine size as far as flaps as far as props things like that he's uh he can get that uh, he can get that plane to do anything or anything and he is uh, without by far the only pilot up there in the brooks range that it does with a plane with what we do with a plane
1: gotcha yeah and how many how many clients do you guys take a year for sheep
2: uh it was now we're
1: doing uh, 10 clients. 10, gotcha. Yeah. And those are legit backpack hunts. Yeah, 100% backpack hunts. Gotcha. Now, as far as, uh, just because I know you've killed, what's some of your bigger um, elk, mule deer, things like that that you've got?
2: Uh, My biggest uh, mule deer is a 208. Yeah. Um, I've killed, um, one of these days I'll get you up to my house. Um, I've got six. Uh, six mule deer on the wall and they all range from that like 188 to to the 212 buck yeah and then uh then as far as elk go i haven't been able to break that 350 mark yeah i've rubbed it multiple times and just haven't been able to to break it i just hasn't happened yeah so um, my the bulls i've shot i've got uh four on the wall now that are all that solid 340 class but nothing bigger than that yeah, you shot two last year, didn't you? Yeah, I got yeah. one in Colorado, and I
1: got one in um, in Idaho. Gotcha. And I remember the few times I've talked, you know, because I've always been kind of a guy, and Frank has to hear me talk all the time. You know, you don't take advice uh, about hunting from a guy that doesn't kill shit. You don't take advice from a target shooter that doesn't win and you're not a tech guy, but you're a killer. When I say tech guy, you have shot the same bow. I'm not saying you're not a tech guy. I should say, well, I'm not a tech guy. You, That's a good example. You, you you use what you what works, and you don't switch. Um, but you've killed half the planet. So anytime you were speaking, I was listening because I, I mean, I the tech side for me is inconsequential to the animal being on the ground. And you were like, yeah, I never considered it a a handicap to shoot a, a stick bow. Never never looked at it that way once. It it. It's what I shoot, and, and I think you had said something. Danny's the same way because he has to shoot a compound now. He actually hates the compound because he's so used to being able to see everything at full draw, where he's got all this shit in his way now. Right, uh, you know, doing it. So, what, um, like as far as your like effective range or whatever, are you always right around? Try to stay within twenty or? I'd say ninety percent of the game I've shot
2: has been inside of twenty yards. Yeah, um, very few outside that. I can shoot that, um, but like when we when we had that conversation a while back, um, a lot of people will say, you know, look at my pictures or hear something about it. It's, oh, man, I know you got that with a recurve. Man, that's that's extra cool. I'm like, why is it
1: extra cool? I'm and, going along the lines with it's extra cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So,
2: and they're, they're like, I go, for the way I hunt, personally hunt, me, I – I like getting close. Yeah. I like getting – to me, that's the accomplishment. Um, and if I get you inside of 20 yards, you're probably going to die if I want you to die. For one, you're not going to be able to jump the string the closer I get. Um, and two, it's an accomplishment so I still win. If I can get up next to a big old majestic buck, get within his – right in his bedroom and, you know, look at him at 60 yards and that's when my hunt first – that's when it starts. Yeah. And during that 60 yards, that extra hour of time it takes me to get over there, all of a sudden another buck comes out and another buck comes out. And if I would have been shooting with something that was comfortable out to 60 yards, I never would have seen those other two bucks.
1: Right. I just uh, I wrote an article. It's kind of a part one, two, three, four, five of kind of the journey or me fucking around with the the trad bow. Right. Uh And that's one of the things I bring up a lot is the first stock I went on you and, and Tom, uh, Clum, and Lander, and they all were like, that. your hunt is going to begin where it ended with your compound. Um, that's when it'll start. Like, mm-hmm. And because, I mean, truthfully, you know, 60, 80 yards, yeah, I would just kill it. And that's one of the first things where I was like, well, I'm seeing a hell of a lot more animal behavior these days because I got to sit and fucking watch for an hour bef- before it, it happens. And you learn, it made me a way better hunter because I learned – yeah, the animal's not going to bug out. As long as you don't do anything stupid, right. stay staying there no matter what. You don't have to rush anything unless big, it's a bad the, wind. But. Yeah, the biggest thing you do with that, and especially with wind, wind, as we all know,
2: is, is our worst enemy. And when you're in their living room working your way into their bedroom, um, and that, that takes time. So then you're constantly worrying about those thermals. And when you really scout an area and you look in an area, I'm not only just looking for the animals and, and things like that to see if it's a place I want to go back to. I'm looking for and I'm keeping track of you know storm systems will always change. but typically every morning, every evening, during the days, you know you keep track of the thermals. Uh, just a the mental track of of when that dew starts, when the sun starts taking that dew off the trees and you and then now that wind's blowing downhill um, when it's going uphill. I mean you of you kind of look at the animal once you put that math to it and say, you know what? I'm going to have to back off this. I don't have enough time because in about 40 minutes, this winds going to change. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so you you pay attention to a lot more different surroundings in regards to um, preparing like, yourself you,
1: to get close. You ain't lying, brother. I I learned. I mean, I haven't done it that long, so I, I mean, I just I learned a lot about that because I would just walk up to 80 and shoot it. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just I would, and 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 for you know, for me. Um, Uh, as far as the traditional archery goes, I I had a buck in in Alberta that was, I don't know what it scored, right? Well over 200. And I got to 55 yards. I just couldn't get any closer that the way that it kind of terraces. And uh, it just, his neck was, you know, typical bed behind a yucca bush, you Mm -hmm. know, I said, I'll just, I'm going to have to wait. I'll just lay here. And eventually he's going to get up and move away from me where I can make a quick stock in. But at the point where I was at, I just didn't feel comfortable getting closer. And after three hours of laying on my side, I just—I knew where he was. I knew how far he was. I didn't need to do shit. I just laid there. I probably should have pulled out. Looking at it back now, but I—that was a fucking record for me to wait that long. Like mm-hmm. I would have shot it in the back of the head with my neck, with my compound. Being totally honest, and I'm laying and laying and laying in the middle of all that. I should have just backed out to a distance I could encircled around and watched him until he re-bedded or, or started to feed for an ambush. Well, I, f- I fucked up, right? Yeah, I it's, I, all, I, it's <laughs> all trying
2: there, and who knows? I mean, that could have been
1: the right choice to lay there for three hours. Um, a doze came in and winded me and blew him out, which right. I didn't expect because I had a solid wind, but I'd never sat – I mean, you don't even get to see 210-plus mule deer very often, let right. alone lay there and watch its horns. for. And I went from straight typewriter leg laying there – Eventually, I'm like, he's my buddy now, right? I've been here two hours. He's not, right. no, I was calm as could be. But, yeah, it, it's different with the with the stick for and, sure.
2: And just it just as uh, well as those does coming in and winding you, and I don't know how many animals I've got that I, I still take credit for, but I was after a different animal. I'm you know, doing the stock, focused in on getting close to this bull or this buck or this bighorn sheep, and next thing I know, something else is coming. And if I hadn't been there for that two and a half, three hours waiting, now all of a sudden a bigger one shows up. Yeah. To kick this guy out of his bed and I'm in his line of path. Yeah. I mean, so a whole lot happens when you have the patience to be that two and a half, three, four, five-hour person as long as you, you know, can can kind of keep track of that win.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, Lander is a stick bow guy, right? He's the guy we go with in in B.C. for that where I'm taking Danny for the the black bear hunt. Right. Well – this year, good example, he's a stick bow guy, so he tells me, you know, I'm on this just high plateau, and there's cattails. And he's like, you get down to those cattails, and they're bedded in there. You're going to have to wait till 5 or 6, till they get up and feed out and then kill them. Well, I got down there at like 10. I had my compound, though. I was like, yeah, I am waiting until 5.30, <laughs> so I shot one in. And because uh, I could sneak it through the cattails, I was real methodical with glassing. Couldn't have done that with a stick, but— that's the that's the difference right there. Like he would have had to wait. He he told me he wouldn't even have gone down there. He would have went down there at two thirty in the afternoon because mm-hmm. they bed in those cattails and just they just they plant and they fall. So they're comfortable. The right. shit's eight feet tall. Nothing. You would have never known they were in there. But I watched them walk, and that's the different mentality. He's like he said, dude. I've laid ten hours on one buck in high wind, just waiting for that opportunity. I mean, he'll text me in the middle of a stock when he's 18 yards away, the top of the rack, he's like, Oh, just waiting here for this buck to stand up. Cause he's that patient. He's mm-hmm. like you, he's done it his whole life. It's a different, it's a different world. So I'm always intrigued to hear stories like this. Cause I never would have shot that buck with Frank last year or two years ago with a compound. I would have done something t- totally different and stupid, but instead I ended up shooting it a few, I don't know, three feet, five feet, five three feet, feet right yeah, right above it. And, uh, But the wind, I've learned, is my friend. When high winds, because the high winds is awesome. Oh, I hated wind before. I I put it in the article. Now, well, I never would have killed that fucker. Thirty mile an hour crosswind, just gusts. Uh Every gust, I take a step. Every gust, I take a step. I would have never done that shit with a compound. Next thing you know. I can only see its rack. I'm like, man, I'm gonna have to stand on top of this boulder and shoot this thing straight down. Yeah. And he was watching. The first time I got on the boulder, the wind blew me back off, and I was like, oh, could like half stride up, and it blew me back my right leg down. And I'm like, well, it didn't run. And I'm, sh- it's for me to you. And I get on top of it, and the first time in my life, I'm like, my shadow is gonna scare this off. He's gonna think it's a cat. Right. And that shit never happens to me with a compound. I so it was. I was, I was, I think you were shaking more than I was I watching was. through the spotting
0: scope. <laughs> watching through the spotting scope. And as soon as you came over that hill, I gave you the, the, uh, field goal sign because he was right, right behind it. And I just started shaking like I couldn't even control myself more than I would if it was me in that situation just because I was watching, I could see the deer, I could see Aaron. And I'm like, oh my God, this is perfect. And, uh, he's throwing rocks at first, throwing rocks to that get it to stand didn't, up. Didn't uh-huh. work, by the and way. And it didn't, it didn't stand I got pictures of him <laughs> throwing the rock and the deer in front of him through the spotter and uh, he ended up getting like you said he ended up getting right on top of it and shooting it and I watched the whole thing and I was just like oh my god that and, was the coolest thing I've ever seen and what's seen. so
2: cool about that is it could have been a fork and horn uh, black tail it could have been you know whatever or a great big buck but when you've gotten that close to him whether he blows out of there and you muff the shot which we've all done because we're human it's still an accomplishment you can still pat yourself on the back um, yeah there was an
1: accomplishment for me considering I shot my caribou 127, right? For me, Uh with a bow, didn't blink an eye. And I shouldn't even talk about those distances. And then now I'm addicted to getting close, right? I mean, I I shot the compound last year. My heart rate didn't go up, Uh right? With all animals I shot, didn't really get excited. The goat, I got excited, but that's because there was a 2,000 foot cliff. But Uh overall, it's just not there. Where now I get excited over a doe coming in, right? And I'm only talking about this stuff just because you're a lifetime traditional archery guy it is a different feeling and we're like when that happened with you know with frank i mean i got to the top of that deer and i'm like i could kill this motherfucker with a spear with a knife but, a spear, yeah, yeah. and uh it was, a, it was amazing but as we're talking about close shots what's the closest you've killed something um probably a foot yeah close close what was it mule deer yeah yeah and bedded bedded yeah do you, now, do you, you hunt—you obviously don't talk about your areas, but do you hunt um, Colorado pretty much, or do you hunt multiple areas for mule deer? Uh,
2: Colorado's—you know, I haven't hunted mule deer, and which used to be my passion, um, for about eight, nine years now in Colorado. Yeah. Uh, I've been out there in the plains in Nebraska, and I've been lucky enough to shoot some really nice bucks out there. Um, but as far as the Colorado, I'm guiding in Alaska— so I'm up there the whole month of August and the month of September. So I'm not, I'm not here to do some of the archery hunting. Uh, last year I, I came home early because I drew that uh, Colorado tag where I was able to, you know, hunt those two bulls, uh, Idaho and Colorado. So last year was my year off, not off. I still guided two sheep hunters and a grizzly bear hunter, but, yeah. um, I, I didn't stay around for the, for the rest of the hunts.
0: Gotcha.
1: Yeah. I, uh, yeah, it, uh, it's an interesting being that close is, 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 uh. I don't. I can't describe it because I've went twenty years and never tried to get close. I tried to get close enough, but Mm -hmm. not, not, not what I have to get close now. Well, it's really
2: neat hearing you say that. Being the the kind of uh, compound guy you were and the reputation you had doing it is is it gets to a point to where it's just not a challenge. And for I think that's what brings a lot of people from the compound to the trad world. Is it gets to a point that you know it's just not a challenge. If I can get within sixty yards of you, you're dead. And – but now all of a sudden you're like, you know what? I want a little more of a challenge. I want to get a little closer. And so now they get closer and sometimes that compound bow can be a handicap when you get to that 10 yards, that 15 yards when you're Mm -hmm. snap shooting, this, that, and the other. And now with with the recurve, I can hold – I can canter it all the way over 90 degrees. I can can do – you know, with the compound bow, all your sights would be level. Yeah. I can do so much more stuff as far as that's nothing but a handicap with a compound, but I'll never knock anybody for hunting with a compound. I think is as, as long as you're outside and you're in the wilderness and you're hunting, um, then uh, you got my thumbs up. But, uh, so I don't stereotype and I don't try to give myself a feather in my cap because I'm doing what's traditionalist the way I chose the hunt. Yeah. I mean, cause I'm not a good shot, so <laughs> I got to get close.
1: Yeah. I, uh, I, I senior Tom senior, you know, he's like, cause I told, you know, some of the elk I've shot, you know, and he's like, I don't even, he know, he's like, I don't even set myself up for shots like that. And I'm like, well, that's the difference opening morning. They're up above tree line. I don't have to get overly close to shoot an elk, you know, uh-huh. I just have to get kind of close. And when they come out and feed, I'd shoot them and I'm talking about the different, well, specifically for me strategies, how, well, you were talking about it too, how much has to change going from, an effective range of 100 and in or whatever mm-hmm. 80 and in to you know 30 is I, I actually shoot better at 40 than I do at 32 because my point on is 40 so right. I actually have kind of a pin but I'm instinctive after that but what uh now have you you've shot a bighorn and a doll right but you're right. missing a desert and a stone right okay right. where did you get your bighorn here
2: yeah I shot two two bighorns in Colorado
1: yeah how uh how big were those uh, one was like 166 and the other one was 159. Yeah. The good, good ones. Now don't bring it up, but is that the happy home? Um, uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. The, um, now the doll, was that with, through Jonah or is that, that with was with four? Jonah? Okay. Yeah. That was with Jonah. Now, did he do that? Was that one of those, I know but it end up, you know, you, you work three or four years and then they'll let you go kill one basically. Well, we just
2: kind of worked out, uh, worked out a deal where I guided several clients, um, and he didn't have to pay me to do it. And then – so I, I kind of worked it off in labor. I gotcha. mean the, the – you know, I don't have the the, the kind of money to, uh, to to do these kind of hunts or any kind of sponsorship. So the reason why I got into guiding to Alaska is so I could hunt brown bears, so, yeah. bear, so I could hunt grizzly bears, so I could hunt dollar sheep and um, without uh, – and just use – trade it for labor. That's gotcha. how I ended up doing it.
1: Now, how many pounds were you shooting and how many now after the shoulder surgery? Are you back up to where you were? I was shooting
2: 70 pounds before. It was the old school back in the old day where people thought they had to have that. Yeah, it's not for me. I'm a pussy. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> and, uh, but I shot it like it was an extension of my body. I yeah. mean, it was – to give you a good example of how well I shot this bow, um, I was uh, – I drew – I was a lucky guy that drew the super raffle tag for Arizona for the Buffalo. And ever since I was a little kid – I've always wanted to shoot a free-range buffalo with my bow. I mean, that was just a childhood dream. I Arizona had this, this uh, super raffle, so I bought, you know, five tickets for $100. You got an extra ticket, so I had four for desert sheep and one for buffalo. They pulled my name out of the hat, and I got the buffalo tag, which ended up being the same thing as the the governor's tag because I had one year to hunt this buffalo. Well, I
1: I remember you went back several times. Yeah, I went back
2: back six times equaled 77 days that I had into this hunt. And um, when that – but I thought because of the buffalo, I needed to go back to my 70-pound bow, which I'd only retired the year before because of my shoulder surgery. And I was using – I think I was using a 53, 54-pound bow with a Palmer bow – same riser, just different limbs for my, for my bow because of my shoulder. So I went back to my 70 pound bow. It wasn't fun to shoot. I mean, it hurt to shoot because of my shoulder, but no matter when I picked it up, I could hit whatever I was aiming at. Well, when I got to Arizona and finally, when it all came true, I I was going to be guiding in Alaska. I mean, this was my last hurrah I shot it in July and I first started going up there September the year before. And, um, so, any rate, I got this. Uh, um, I found this bull that uh, I'd worked with a guy named Russ Jacoby. Russ Jacoby, which was instrumental in me able to get a buffalo. As a matter of fact, he's instrumental for anybody getting a buffalo up there in the Kayabab. And um, he just saw that I was working in the same area, I was hunting in the same area, and he's like, "Man, can we work together here? You're you're walking the the border." You know, every day, and then I was hitchhiking hitchhiking back 11 miles, get back to my truck, and the next day I'd do the same thing. So I ended up changing SD cards for him and some of his cameras because I would see these buffalo trails coming out of the park. I would follow them, and then there would be a salt lick there. So that's how they're drawing them out of the park. And uh, so I did this. I was looking at cameras, and I found this one one spot that uh, a buffalo was coming out of the park. And um, I saw him twice on camera where he was coming out like at, uh, you know, one in the morning, two in the morning. And then a couple of times he'd been out there in the daytime. So, but never when I was there. So I'm trying to figure out he really started getting nocturnal the last couple of times we saw him on, on camera. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to find what trail he's in. And uh, I don't want to get myself in too much trouble here, but I, I was going to get him. Yeah. And uh, so – as it turned out, um, I'm on my hands and knees looking at these trails, trying to figure out which one he's using. And I hear a, a, a twig break. Look up, and I see a hump of a buffalo coming out at me. <laughs> so I'm like, "This this is 77 days of hunting in the park, hunting outside the park, and it was only the second buffalo I'd seen in 77 days." Yeah. So I I get, I mean, I so I know where he's going. He's going to the salt. So I go hauling an ass back. And get to pretty close to the salt, like 20 yards away. Get behind this big Ponderosa pine. And he's walking on the trail I was on. He gets to where I was on my hands and knees. He smells, snorts, does like it, takes off. He doesn't take back off the same way he came in. He kind of circled around. and He was out of the park. And I heard some more cracking going on. And he came up to the salt a different way. And there he is. Now he's facing me. And I can't do nothing about it. Um, I can't shoot. And I... I, I get excited every time, and it's a cliche that a lot of hunters say, yeah, well, if I didn't get excited, I, I mean, I wouldn't go. And I think some of that is this they – like, they like to say that. Um, I get excited, but not to the point I was with this one. I mean, my knees were wobbling. I thought this buffalo was going to hear my heartbeat because it's all coming together. I mean, i got 77 days. I never, I've hunted – you see, 177 days that takes two years, yeah. <laughs> so, I'm doing it all right there, and it's all coming, could come true. And I don't have a shot, and I'm 20 yards away. I don't know how many people are like, Well, how if yeah, I had, I had him within 10 yards and I couldn't shoot. Well, if you're a traditionalist, you, you understand where somebody's coming from. I do now, <laughs> finally. <laughs> Finally, the, buff- the wind started changing, and the buffalo, the personalities inside the park where you can walk up and take their picture is totally different when they know they're outside the park. They're as wily as any elk you try to sneak up on or mule deer or anything. So instantly when that, I felt that wind hit me behind the back, and I'd been there for now 30 minutes, I mean not 30 minutes, three or four minutes, I, I had settled down. And so now... I knew when he whirled the turn, I had that millionth of a second to shoot. So he lifted his head, went to turn, and I stepped out behind the tree, and I was at full draw, and he caught that movement and stopped. And the air was already on its way, and it blew right through him, took out right through the heart. He went another 20 yards. This was my 70-pound bow. He went another 20 yards, so now he's like 40 yards. I nailed him again. Just He stood broadside, nailed, shot right above the heart, just blew completely through him. He went about another 20 yards. Now he's out there 60, 65 yards, quartering away, and I sent another arrow back by the liver, and it's buried up into his shoulder, and that's where he finally did the nose dive and died. So I hit him three times just, just shooting as quick as yeah. I could.
1: Yeah, did you about shit your pants after you
0: knew
2: you? <laughs> oh, it was uh, – uh, you know what? It was probably the, the worst hunt I've been on because I, I, I'll i never hunt a park situation again. I knew where the, the buffalo were. I just couldn't go get them. Yeah. And – so as a hunter, that's very frustrating knowing where they are where you can't go get them, no different than private property. and you're sitting there on National Forest or BLM waiting for them to come out. So um, uh, I forgot where I was going with that.
1: Never hunt a park situation oh, yeah. again.
2: So it was the it was the most rewarding animal yeah. that I've shot. I think of everything I've got as far as the knees walled and the heart beating, childhood dream. I knew I was going to get elk. I knew I was going to get deer. I knew I was going to get antelope. I knew I was going to get bear. I didn't know I was going to get a buffalo. So when this came together, uh, even though it was the the worst best hunt I've ever been on.
1: Yeah. No, no, that makes total sense. I And I mean, I've never, I've killed a tame buffalo in Kansas once for the meat. So mm-hmm. it's not, that's not something you can, there I mean, a handful of guys you can actually go and even talk to about that hunt. Cause it just doesn't happen very often. Right. You know, you got to research. So when you had told me about that, I was like, huh. I wonder how that's going to turn out because you just don't hear about the hunt. You know what I mean? You don't hear stories about it or whatever. I had no idea actually how many there were, how you get them. And the park situation for anything is a pain in the ass, including, oh, because I've hunted the borders of private land and parks, try to call them off. It's a pain in the ass. I mean, you know, that's where they go to hide. They're not stupid. So I'm sure that was a pain, 77 days especially.
2: Well, Arizona, they've done something just the opposite. I think it's starting to bite them a little bit the the they don't want the buffalo in the park they, they said they proven that they weren't native to the park so now they don't want them there no more so they they want to extinguish this herd and get rid of them so they've told the dow there they had a certain amount of years to keep this to sustain this herd right around 350 i think was the number and it's you know it's over you know a thousand buffalo in the park and so they've they've where they used to just hunt them once in the spring and once in the fall, they were 100% successful because the buffalo had no idea where the park boundary was because they weren't hunted 10 months out of the year. Now, all of a sudden, they're hunted every single solid day of the year. So, yeah. so now they've educated these animals a little different than deer and elk hunting a reservation or a park or a private property. They know where that fence line is, even if it's an imaginary fence line. Yeah, They know where that boundary is and they've educated the buffalo there where that boundary is because there's somebody
1: on it every day of the year. Yeah. So it was it was challenging. Yeah, I bet. Holy cow! What I know you said you're not a tech guy. You're shooting uh, a Palmer. How many pounds is that now? Uh, Sixty pounds now. And, and then uh, you're shooting Easton Axis. Is that right? Right. And then what uh, broadhead do you shoot? Palmer broadhead. Yeah, and that's um that is that a three blade or a two blade? It's a four blade. Four blade. Okay. And that is that all you've ever shot for the most part, or for quite some time?
2: Um, for. Uh, for as long as he's been making them yeah Uh, i think only i've only shot them for about three or four years is when i first got my hands on it i didn't even know mike had palmer broadheads yeah until i introduced him mike's never sold his bows to let any retail store sell his bows before he's never done it and i told him about rocky mountain specialty gear i promised tom i'd get mike into uh, into his shop and um they said they would love to sell his bows talked to mike and met him up there one day introduced the clumps to him and and what was kind of unique about what they said about Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear, I mean, here Tom was really wanting to sell Mike Palmer boats. I mean, he really wanted to meet him and this, that, and the other. So I get him down there, and but they're real busy. This one they're over on uh, Pecos Street, I think, and uh, over on Sheridan. I mean, and he he goes in there and they're like, "Man, you know, I got a couple of customers in front of you. I can't, you know, I don't have time yet. So yeah. Just give me a second. So. It takes, you know, 20, 30 minutes before we could ever get to Mike. And most people, I think, in that situation where they think they're doing you a favor, they don't want to be – they don't want to have to wait. Yeah, And Mike pretty much was like, you know what? If they would have bailed on their customers, yeah, they wouldn't yeah. be selling my bow.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So,
2: yeah. I mean, it was kind of that situation where – Customer comes first or first come, first serve. I mean, yeah, I, I could want to get you your five people back, but I'm going to take care of everybody else, total strangers, no different than I'm going to take care of somebody I've known for 10 years. I mean, and that really sold Mike on Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's cool. They've been a huge help for me just to actually hit what I'm aiming at and, and everything else. It's, it's, it's funny as, you know, like you would say something or Tom or Tom said, you're probably going to kill him an animal on your second or third arrow, pretty much guaranteed, like it's going to happen. I'm sure shit. First animal I shot was killed it on my second arrow. I missed it on the first. And you know, he would say, well, you know what, you're really going to, you know, this is going to happen about 40 yards. You're really going to realize whatever. And you know, I'd never shot with a stick bow. So yeah, that kind of shit you guys would tell me would echo in the back of my mind. So just hanging out in that shop, having guys like you and Tom and Danny and and Tommy and everyone else, I, I learned, you know, quite a bit from that. Frank, you're hanging
0: over there. You got any questions? Uh no. I was gonna ask about how you did the the economic, you know, killing twenty animals economically, but you kind of already touched on that. Just yeah. guiding and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. Trading and labor for trade labor. That's that's yeah. the big thing. Yeah. yeah. Tell us about that one year one yard uh, mule deer shot. My uh, mule was, deer fanatic. It, so
2: um, it was kind of a, um, really kind of stupid on my part. I shot. I just got through shooting my first bighorn sheep. Um, The day before. Mm-hmm. So I'm packing the, like, like I don't have enough to pack out already. And this was like only like a, you know, 165-inch mule deer. But I, I glass him up, make a great, you know, only thing I saw from, a, you know, a half mile away was the tip of his horns behind this log. So I always like a challenge. And uh, so I put down my bag full of meat, my backpack, had my bow and I go crawling over to this. And I remember it like it was yesterday because he's on one side of the log. Mm-hmm. I'm on the other side of the log. <laughs> We're laying virtually one foot apart from each other, the thickness of that log. So when I kind of get to my knees, I go to pull back my bow. And the more I pull it back, I'm leaning forward to shoot him because he's right. The, the arrows barely going to get off the string before it hits him. And I realize that as I move him forward, I'm only moving forward because I'm pulling my limb back. And if I was to shoot right there, the limb was going to slap that log. Mm-hmm. So then I had to step back just a little bit. And with that, he, he heard me. Wow. <laughs> and just to, just to see his muscle twitch in his skin and in his hair, like like he didn't get up. He's like, okay, I'm busted. What is this? Is this a lion? Yeah. Is this – I mean he, he knew – Bad things were about to happen. And that's when I let go of the arrow and shot him right between the shoulder blades. And that was now I had more stuff
1: to carry off the hill. <laughs> that was my one that's, foot one foot shot that's on him. Yeah, that, that is wild. Yeah, geez. Well, talking about Colorado quite a bit, uh, you know, here, the hunting you've done, you and I had a conversation the other day about um, uh, you talking with the, the Colorado Bow Hunters Association as well as the Division of Wildlife on potentially losing some of our tags for mountain goat and bighorn sheep uh is that correct that's what's kind of going on
2: well yeah i mean anybody that's got the the brochures in the mail you can pick out units on there that uh i mean typically as it's always been and as it should be the bull hunters need more time in the woods than the rifle hunters do and not to knock rifle hunters or anything like that i'm not that wasn't the purpose it was uh the DOW, um, they have shortened the units, some of the units, for archery hunting and extended it for rifle rifle season. And so I noticed that right away because it was a particular unit that I put in for. So uh, kind of getting the scuttlebutt from certain people, they, they the reason why they did it was because the bow hunters weren't killing enough sheep. So with my pea-sized brain, I'm like, okay – you want us to kill more sheep, so you take away two tags and take away three days yeah, and give them to the rifle hunters, um, how is that going to help me kill more sheep? Yeah, I mean, it just, uh, it was just a, uh, I think a very smart question, like, how is that going to help me c- kill more sheep? How is that going to accomplish what you're accomplishing? Because um, quite honestly, in this particular unit, and I think it probably stands true to a lot of units, and you know, out of you know, whatever percentage of hunters there is, this particular one would be 8, 10 hunters, whatever. Maybe one ram will be killed out of that many hunters. Mm-hmm. So why not just maybe start the season earlier? Maybe start August 1st. Yeah. Give us days on the front end of that. That doesn't hurt any kind of – there's no mating going on. There's no rut going on. There's no nothing going on because you're hunting rams anyway. Yeah, they're
1: not in velvet and they're not no. – yeah,
2: I mean <laughs> – I mean, so why can't they give it to us on the front end and – instead of taking it away from us totally. Um, which are things I'm really trying to get, which is why, and when I talked this concern to Marv Clinky, we talked quite a bit about this kind of stuff, along with some politic views and that kind of thing. And he's like, you know what? you really need to talk to this gentleman, um, Steve, over with the Colorado Hunters Association. So Steve, when I called him, he invited me to go to their their meeting they had last Friday down at the Dow, and that's when I found out who was the gentleman that was did the broadcast. Paul, podca- Paul Navarre. Paul, Paul. He was sitting right next to me. Okay. And he talked about uh, you know doing the broadcast with you and and I really felt good about it and everything. And then, I mean, I was there for about four hours, and uh, finally, it got to Steve who introduced me who. You know, he goes, "Hey, Marv Clinky got a hold of me. Said this is like one of the better bow hunters I've ever met in my life. He's really got his head on his shoulders. Really, he wants to fight for the hunters, and you need to you need to get this guy on board." So he introduced me kind of that way. And um, my big thing with Colorado Bull Hunter Association, which I think everybody should support, if you're a bow hunter, um, if uh, you need to support. It would be a good idea to support your, the, the, your association where you're at. Um, but I'm a little disappointed. I think they did a whole lot of stuff when they first were founded, 1968, 1969, and they did a whole lot of stuff for us. Um, they extended our seasons, they, you know, it's on their – they did tons of stuff. Uh, it's all on their brochure if you try to put out. But what have they done in the present? What have they done here lately for the hunters? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where I would like to kind of uh, emphasize with them that um, And if their numbers are down on amount of people that are joining the club and things like that, I think a real good avenue to go to would be to Start showing the hunters how you have their back. Um, Start explaining to the hunters how legislature works with the Colorado Division of Wildlife. Start explaining how tough it is to go in there and try to fight for things. They need the support. Because the only thing I heard when I was there was about a rendezvous here, a 3D shoot here and this region and that region. Not once was the word hunting ever brought up. Mm -hmm. And which is the reason why I dropped out years ago. It's like, what are you doing for me? Um, And... um, and they've done a lot to this point but I think things are getting harder in legislature I mean it's uh I mean if you're out there hunting in the woods and you're walking with a boa next to a bunch of people in spandex hiking the trail you're gonna get dirty looks and it seems like we know the division of wildlife does it they 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 cater to the Republic of Boulder not yeah. to the hunters yeah um, I mean that's no secret and as far as we don't want we don't need to enhance that. We need to have somebody there as a as a voice for the hunter. And I think the best avenue to go through it is the Colorado Bull Association because they already got somebody at the round table. They already have somebody in legislature keeping care of all, watching all the bills that might be kind of stabbing us in the back and mm-hmm. this, that, and the other. So they already got it. But as a, but as far as fighting it and doing anything. Um, is somewhere I would I would hope that in the future I could help out with.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, and I I mean it's um, interesting because it, you know if you're if you're a gun hunter you're probably looking at it one sided and if you're a bow hunter you're probably looking at it one sided. But you know when you brought up the simple, they're like, well, why don't we just give us three days on the beginning. I mean, that's pretty fucking simple, right? Like, yeah. that fixes it. And they're not still—like I said, they're not in velvet, still growing. They're not mating. They're not breeding. Um, no, it, Not it, it, birthing. Yeah, no. Yeah. So, and and being, you know, on several sheep hunts here, yeah, the, the rams don't know if you're there, you know, three days early. And we would still be able to hunt them the allotted amount of time we're normally used to. It doesn't hurt anything. Right. Yeah, it seemed pretty simple fix to me. So, yeah, I mean, when you said that, I was like, yeah— I don't know why they wouldn't do that so I I mean I think it's a great idea I mean and it's not overly easy to tip an animal over with a bow anyway and in a few of the particular elite units just physically it's it's um a little bit more of an issue and I know that's why probably some of the success rates are, are lower um you know in those units but that doesn't mean if you have 10 people two won't be heavy hitters that can get right in there and get it done taking away time from uh um, a relative newbie or a or a heavy hitter to go in there it makes no sense at all if you're trying to kill more sheep than 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 less. Yeah, uh, and so. you want to kill more <laughs>
2: sheep. I mean, you can even open up the the whole month of August. I mean, yeah. we used to have. I mean, this guarantee a 30 day season. Yeah. Now we're down to 23. Yeah. Um, and it's and and the rifle hunters have 26. Yeah. And, and nothing like and I don't want to have any bad relationship. I think hunters need to join. As, as as a whole, in the mm-hmm. first place, they no don't they don't need to be this compound versus versus traditional versus rifle. I mean, we're all hunters, yeah, and we're all wanting the same thing, and just different methods of doing it.
1: No, yeah. All right, folks, we're going to take a momentary pause because I'm about to piss my pants. All right, my fuel tank is drained. We're back, and uh, you were talking about the you know deducting of tags and days for for bighorn sheep and uh, and mountain goats potentially, but Uh, one thing that I bring up and we were talking to you just now off the air of, of, uh, the issue we have with black bears now and that spring bear hunting and baiting were taken away from us. And now bears are a problem. What, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I, I've got some very strong thoughts on it. Uh,
2: I went to a lot of the meetings back when we lost our bear season. Uh, I wasn't part of ZPA. I wasn't part of anything. I was just a concerned hunter. And, um, You know, I don't know if you remember the commercials or this, that, and the other. They had the commercials of the sow with the two cubs and, you know, how could you shoot these things? They're all sitting up there in the tree and they had some, they, you know, were scared up there by hunters and so they had this commercial and as we know, as today's, you know, left wing media and, um, it's, it's it's this hundred percent one-sided and we can no way get a commercial about the reason why there is a spring bear season and, um. So we lost it. We got we got our ass handed to us in regards to people with personal emotion, emotion over science over science. So we had biologists. They had you know stacks of papers, as thick as phone books, on the studies they've done with bears, as far as how they affect the the doe to fawn ratio, how they affect the cow to to calf ratio, and how they affect their own ratio. Uh, as far as the, the boars killing the south Cows to bring her back into season. Most people
1: don't realize that. I've told That's that That's the story biggest and, mortality rate of bear. Yeah. So I, I was telling Amy, she's like, because I, I pulled up a video in Alaska with uh, Billy Moles. And uh, he was with Clay Lancaster's dad and this big boar. He's standing on the head of the cub, just ripping that thing apart. And mm-hmm. Amy was like, what? what a, and I was like, well, so he can get laid again. I was yeah. like, he, he can breed one more time. I say, like, he kills those cubs. People, I don't think people realize that shit. They just no. think they hold Coke bottles and drink out of them <laughs> shit, right? People don't realize bears are evil.
2: I mean, my experience with bears when I was hunting them in Colorado when it was legal – uh debate was, you know, I'd sit on a bait and what one, one thing they never was able to get out to the public is it's illegal to shoot sal with cubs. Yeah. And that's always been the law. It's yep. illegal to shoot Sal with Cubs. But they never let us have any airtime. No no different than they would never pull a person out of the crowd that voted for Trump. It'll never happen in our lifetime. Yeah. Um so we couldn't get our day in court or day on the on the on t- in TV or nothing like that. But um when I was sitting a bait and you'd have bears coming in and if there was a sow, if there was a big boar coming to that bait, which is the reason why I'd be hunting it, and whether I had it on a trail camera or was able to see it myself, what was neat is seeing the body language of a sow that would come in with cubs because that boar marks this territory no different than a dog does. And it would tell that sow and her cubs, there's a boar in the canyon, for her to get her herself and those cubs the hell out of there. Yeah. It, it helped protect the sows with cubs. Yeah. Because the boars had come in and marked their territory. She didn't know the boar was there until she got to my bait. Now she knows not to be there.
0: Yeah.
2: And and you can combine that with it's illegal to shoot that sow with cubs. It, it was like uh, the worst thing they ever could have done was stop that spring bear season. And then all of a sudden, uh, and, but we how, how do you show on TV the, the decrease in numbers when they did the bear studies over there by. Um, Uh, parachute Colorado they had a whole mountain dedicated to this bear study so how do you how do you document or how do you show on tv your mule deer population going down because there's only four or five percent of the of the fawns are making it because the black bears are killing them how do you show how the elk calf Population is going down, and the reproductive rate is less than you know four or five percent. How do you show that on TV? You can't. Yeah. You you do that with science. You do that with the biologists to put the time in to do it. So I don't know how you even get into a courtroom with emotion, and you personally don't like it over scientifically done stuff. One yeah. of was our some of our worst enemies, is hunters. We're saying you know what, I'll never buy a bear tag, so I don't think we need to have bear season.
1: Yeah.
2: And how they how you just didn't have each other's backs. How. Uh, it was a really uh, a sore spot even within the hunting community of how many hunters didn't jump on board to protect their right to hunt the bears protect and not only to control your predators, which you have to do um they they' like, well, I don't hunt bear, so I don't yeah I don't care if they you can't hunt them or not yeah um and that that was like I say, we got our ass handed to us when it come to that, but then last year in the newspapers, they're talking about all these bears they're gonna kill. Because to try to bring back the mule deer populations. Yeah. So for the same science that we had, you know, 25 years ago when we lost our bear season, is the same science that they used to be able to give themselves permission to go kill a bunch of bears with government people rather than the hunters that would give their left nut to go do it. Yeah. And the DOW could make money, and here they are bitching, they don't make enough money. Well, how about lobbying to try to get, bring our spring bear season back?
1: Yeah, and I don't even give too much of a shit about the baiting part of it, right? Um, no fair chase. I mean, yeah, yeah, fair chases.
2: The, they don't. They could have taken away the baiting, but don't take away the spring bear season. Yeah,
1: that's my thing. And we've gone into and I'll just mention one place, but it's the Maroon Bells, um, early June bears. Everywhere. Oh, I mean, everywhere you go Yeah. above Tamerlane that time of year. Oh, um, 18, 20 bears in a day. When you're seeing that many bears, and I, I think I've told you before, they never let that back. We're going to go kill some, you know, like legit eight-footers. Uh-huh. Like there's bears in there. Well, the the guy down there, one of the outfitters, they had a horse go down. And uh, he's like, hey, can you come down here and shoot this bear? And uh, he's like, I had a horse go down, totally legal. Um, And I'm like, man, I can't. Risk that, well, it's eating their camps. I saw it. I, I shit you not. That's a legit 700 pound black bear. I mean, I've never seen, I say that I'd put money. It's 550 plus, right? right. Biggest black bear I've ever seen. looked like a grizzly because it's color phase. And the thing is, is he's like, he eats our camps. He eats hikers camps. I mean, he just doesn't give a shit. <laughs> um, right. And so and he was like and he's smart. He was you know, he doesn't he only comes in at night, right? So and and he usually does it when they leave the outfitter you know, pack out and he comes in and eats wall tents. And, you know, for me, hunting them in the snow is pretty cool. It's it's epic when they're coming out of the dens. Um, just watching them and filming them's cool enough. So I would just like a spring season. I don't give a shit about baiting. I just want the chance in the spring. to I 100 percent
2: agree. I mean, I hunt Montana, which is they don't allow baiting there, but they do in Idaho and Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're the only state in the United States that, that has bears that doesn't have a spring bear season. Yeah, we're the only state that eliminate from Trinidad Aguilar, clear up to the Utah border where they killed all the bears last year, that we kill multiple tons of bears by government people. I was just saying people they're still getting killed. They're still getting killed. They're just not making any money. They're just off not of making it. any money on it. So I mean how to get some how to go to your senators, because your senators, they're not they want to be popular. They want to be popular with, you know, the Hollywood, the left wing media, and they ain't gonna be so you, that's what it takes. It takes go to your senator, get some signatures, try to get it back on a bill, back into the ballot, back something you can vote for again. It's not gonna happen. Um, I I say not. I, I I hope there's a way somebody can see light at the end of the tunnel, to where we can get our spring bear season back. And far as the divisional wildlife saying, that we're losing money, we're losing money, this, that, and the other," be like, you know what? Then start doing some things to make money. Yeah. How about lobbying for bring back the spring bear season? Use the same ammunition you had to validate yourselves killing bears last year that would made made headlines. Yeah. Use that same information to educate the public, educate your senators so it's not so hard to
1: get that thing on the table. Yeah, and I wouldn't care if they even charged a little more. Or, you know, I'm I'm not saying let's do that, but it, compared to us going to British Columbia, which costs a lot of money, I'd pay a little more for a spring bear tag to to get in here. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? To have something to do in the spring because, one, they need to be – I mean, you've seen, I mean, you can't go in a lot of areas where there's not the lockable toolboxes at campgrounds. You know what I mean? There's just right. bear issues constantly. And coming from a guy that's now went into B.C. a few different times to hunt, it's not like the population doesn't suffer. Like the the population here could probably use a 50 percent decrease. And this is what Bart called citizen science. These are citizens going into the woods every day. Off of what they see and what they know from what they see, not uh, let liberals just taking a guess. This is what people are seeing every day that live in the woods. And we're seeing a lot of fucking bears. Yeah. right? I mean,
2: <laughs> well, this is what you said. I preach all the time and I get on that fence. Now I'm now I know what side of the fence I'm on. But when you talk to people, it's kind of like, you know, hunters, people that are in the woods, they don't need somebody to tell them a species is declining or going extinct because they see it themselves. Where your liberals, the only way they're going to know is if they see it on TV or read it in the newspaper. Yeah. But yet they're the ones that have all the power to shut down the seasons because it's all about money. And um, so to me, that's a that's another positive to the DOW as a message to them is if it's all about money, because we know it is. I mean you're out to make money. Well, if you want to make more money, how about helping us out bringing our spring bear season back
1: yeah no i'm all for that and we've talked about it before and and again it, it needs to happen just for the simple fact of how many you know bears we're seeing i mean they're a constant many being
2: eliminated that that hunters would 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 buy a tag shoot the bear and you know feed their family i yeah. mean
0: it's just how much does it you think it costs taxpayers just to kill those bears through the government it's got to cost a, a ton of money
1: you know what i had uh after we did the, that one podcast we talked about this i had uh cause I, I pretty made a pretty blanket. I said, and we're paying government trappers, um, to go kill them. And I had some DOW agents email me as well as trappers and said, you, you got it part way, right. But the, the bears don't go to waste. So nobody ever said we don't get paid. So I would imagine it's a pretty, I know in Washington, they had government bait sites and things like mm-hmm. that, um, you know, to, to, to take care of them. They said they didn't go to waste, but I, you know, Compared to like to this spring, if somebody said to to me right now, it's going to cost you four hundred bucks to hunt spring bear, but that's what the tag is. I wouldn't be able to get to the bank fast enough. I'd do that in a heartbeat because it's going to cost me four thousand or twenty five hundred to go to BC and hunt them. Right. So I'd, I, I'm not saying that's what the tag should be, but I'd pay it. I mean, I want to hunt spring bear, especially in my home state. I I, I would. Um, Compared to we're probably paying a government trapper 100 bucks
0: an hour or however the hell they, they make it. Right. makes no sense. It's it's ass backwards math is what it is. Yeah. But. I think I was talking to Ryan Avery yesterday, and this is kind of related. He was saying it costs something like $9,000 per wolf for the government to kill in Idaho. Yeah. Um, so I guess. That was
2: the other thing when I went to this uh, bow hunter banquet. I mean, at bow hunter Bank, with the, the the meeting is wolf is coming up big. I mean, they've got, they're lobbying hard. They know how to do it. And they Want to bring wolf into Colorado and they got a lot of money behind them, and that's one of the things that's going to be voted on this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, how do you not fight that? I mean, to me, as common sense wise, why don't you talk to your neighbors, talk to Montana, talk to Idaho? And I mean, talk to your neighbors and find out what's happening, even yeah, in Yellowstone.
1: You don't put muskies in your trout pond, no, you don't have any trout left. It, common sense, it,
2: <laughs> I mean, in Alaska alone, where they Sarah Palin, um, she authorized the first, you know, real. Aggressive attempt to control the wolves in Alaska. Well, they shut down multiple units in Alaska because every calf that dropped out of a moose, there was a pair of fangs they
1: were waiting for. Yeah, and they got that on film out of yeah. Kalakai. It's not no – I mean they're yanking them out of the womb on yeah. film. Yeah. Yeah. And but I, mean, the, I guess liberals but, don't look at that shit.
2: Well, we can't. They'll never put that on TV. They'll yeah. just put the – with them rolling around playing with their puppies and that yeah. kind of stuff. <laughs> so, I mean that's what's going to go on the air but – that when they she did that, they brought back, I think ten, twelve units, brought came back and the, where they weren't of an issue in tags. Those units were closed. Now moose season's opened up again. Yeah. Because they controlled not only the, the 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 wolf, but the brown bear as well. So I mean it it, it works. It's where everybody it could be an equal balance and they're just throwing th- everything out of that balance by doing what they're doing. Yeah. Because they're uneducated. It's just Emotion over science and it will always, they'll always win because they got more money, but the animal they're trying to protect will always lose.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. I just wrote an article for uh, bear hunter magazine about that spring bear hunt because they banned spring, they banned grizzly hunting in BC. Same thing. That was, I mean, the the NDP or I think it's neutral democratic Party is what it is. They agreed there's plenty of bears to sustain a hunt, whatever, but the people have voted and they don't want to see bear hunting. Well, it was a skewed vote to begin with, but it was emotion over science. And, you know, I mean, it's fucked now for three years. And they're not going to be able to hunt them. And, I mean, those things, they live for 20, 25 years. They have two cubs a year on average, and they have no predator, and they eat everything. Yeah, that's going to be a problem on ungulates. I mean, it just is. So, And, I mean— Lander saw 37 in one bear season just driving around on the roads, right? right. So there's there's no lack of of bears no, up there. No, so then
2: you talk about black bear there. I mean it's is it politically correct to shoot a black bear? So how who knows what BC's what's going to be on their agenda? I mean it's
1: Yeah, for black bear in the near future. Yeah.
2: It, yeah, I mean so I mean what we got we got lost our Quebec Labrador. There's not super 29 now. It's going to yeah. be super 28. Yeah. So those kind of things, but any anyway, rate I just wanted to touch on that a little bit. Uh this uh for people to chime in and call your your local uh, Colorado bow Hunter Association person and say, hey, what are you doing for me as a bow hunter? Because yeah. I'm willing to help if you're doing something for me. I'm willing to be a member. I'm willing to participate. But I need to know, are you the organization that's going to have my back as a
1: hunter? Yeah, no, no. That's good things to bring up for sure. So, well, I think we've been on here about an hour and 40 minutes, which that flew by. but. Uh, man, I appreciate you coming on and we definitely would like to get you back on again and more just talk shit and talk about hunting stories on the next go around. Or we may be talking about the, uh, the sheep and goat issue too, if that
0: needs to be brought up again. Right. Um,
1: oh, I'd love to do it. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah. Thanks for coming on. Frank, yep. you got any?
0: Thanks, Harold. No, I, I really enjoyed the hunting stories. you he's got some freaking epic <laughs> stories, so I wouldn't <laughs> mind hearing more more about your hunting stories No, sounds as well. fun. Cool. All right, man. We'll take it easy. Thanks.